God is doing great things at Anchor Faith. And, you know, I'm, I normally don't say a whole lot about the worship team. You know, I do more to build up the stuff you don't see, our children's ministries and our greeters and, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on. But, um, you know, in this period of transition, I appreciate uh, you guys being patient with us. But God is doing something great. And I'm excited about where he's taking us and where he's moving us. And I'm excited about the pieces that are falling into place right here in Valdosta, Georgia. Like I said last week, we're so thankful for the gifts that were able to come up and help us and support us when we needed it uh, outside the church. But God's doing good things here. Amen. That's not an attitude of we don't need you. We can do this on our own. But, you know, the whole goal is to replicate yourself and and demonstrate an ability to develop from within and so it's exciting to be able to have those gifts and, and talents within the body um, I love playing the drums but I love being able to be down here and worship with you guys even more and um, allow somebody else to use their gift and their talent and and the whole worship team, everyone, you, you don't know the work and the time that has gone in to what you see here. Um, and we really don't get a lot of time to practice. We have one night a week that we practice, but these people are putting in time and effort outside of even that. And they're, they're studying songs and they're learning music and they're doing things on their own time. I'm not even telling them to do it. They're going and listening and learning and doing whatever it takes. And so just want to take a moment to honor them and what they do you know pastor marcus he did a worship workshop when they were here a couple weeks ago with us on a saturday morning and he said the the goal of the worship team is to develop an atmosphere of praise that in turns that in turn develops an an atmosphere of faith and faith your faith right now uh based upon the word your preparation to receive and hear what i'm about to deliver is because of what's taking place here. And they're not separate. It's not, this isn't our worship time, and now this is our Bible study time. It's all one. Pastor Earl used to tell us way back when, when I first started on the worship team down there in St. Augustine, he said, every weekend the, the congregation should get two messages, two sermons, because this is the word up here. This is the word being ministered in song. In song. Ephesians tells us to minister to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is a ministry taking place. This is a time for you to enter in. This isn't for entertainment. This isn't for show. This is for presence. We are not worship leaders. We are lead worshipers. They're up here because they worshiped out there. If you can't worship out there, you don't get to be up here. Because you're just leading people in worship is all you're doing. And so... uh, you know, we want to take a moment to honor that, and I'm so thankful for their hard work and dedication. I just wanted to make mention of that. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We are in a new series, Challenges and Challengers. Anybody got any challenges? Anybody faced any challenges? If, if, you, if you're not in one right now, I'm sure you've been through one, and if you haven't been through one, you're getting ready to go through one. That is perpetual. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is always taking place. Because God is a God of levels. The Bible tells us he wants us to move from faith to faith, from 
glory to glory, from grace to grace. God is a God that operates and works in levels. But the thing is, is you never get to the next level without enduring a test that proves where you came from. The tests and the trials, and this whole series is built around perspective. I'm not here, I'm not going to go through four weeks. Don't, don't think that you're coming and don't invite your friends and tell them, Pastor Mark is telling us how to get away from trials. <laughs> He's telling us how to avoid trials. I'm not telling you how to get out of trials. I'm telling you how to get through trials. Amen. There's a getting through that God wants us to do. There's an overpowering and overcoming and, and motoring through these things. We're not trying to go around the mountain. We're trying to go up the mountain and over the mountain and defeat the mountain. In our life. But God is a God of levels, and every level is tried by a test. This is very simply understood uh, with the metaphor of school. You don't go from first grade to second grade without testing. You don't go from second to third grade without testing. You don't go from elementary to middle school without testing. You don't go from middle school to high school without testing. You don't go from high school to college without testing. The test, the test, the test. And the test. <laughs> can have two different perspectives. The student and the teacher both see the same test differently. Right? They both see the same test differently. One is saying, prove me something, and the other one's saying, you're taking something away from me. You're, you're, you're beating me down. Because, see, the test is meant to prove what's inside of you. The test is designed, the test is not designed to keep you out of something, it's to help you get into something. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I haven't even read my first verse, and I'm giving you all my points. I'm giving you the dessert. I haven't even given you the appetizer yet. It's not designed to keep you out. Well, they just don't want me in. They don't want me to do this. They don't want me to do that. No, they do. They just want to make sure that when you get in there, you're prepared to face What's coming in the next level? To, to be a doctor, you have to pass a test. Right? How many of you are glad? Anybody been to the doctor recently? Anybody been there in the last six months? And, and, and when you walked in there, did anybody look for the, the diploma? Did anybody look for the plaque on the wall? Did anyone ask them where you went to school? Most likely not. But you have this assumption you went to school. You, you know what you're doing with my body here this is funny though we don't ever ask them what grade they got in school <laughs> did you get d's or a's were you a were you a passing with flying colors guy or were you making it in by the skin of your teeth guy we don't ever ask because they they got it they have the piece of paper doesn't say what grade they got or how high of a gpa they had or, you know, how often they attended school or if they made it right across the line. We don't ever ask those questions because we just know you went to school. You have graduated from something. Somebody tested you to prove that you can do what you need to do in this level. And then there's a lot of uh, uh, jobs and places of employment. There's a lot of careers that they have ongoing continual testing. It's called continuing education. Right? Make sure you still know this stuff. I mean, even in the military, they have that. 
Even in the military, let's make sure we're in the right shape. Let's make sure we know the right things. Let's make sure we have the right understanding of things. Why? Because there's got to be testing. The testing is designed to prove something. It's designed to prove what's already there. And so we've just got to change our perspective of tests and trials. John chapter 16, verse 32. John 16, verse 32, Jesus speaking. He says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Basically, Jesus is saying, uh, I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. So there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. And verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, in the world, how many of us are in the world? Well, that's all of us. We're all in the world. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. But in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. In the midst of the world, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of tribulation, be of good cheer. See, apparently you and God have different perspectives of the same trials. He says be of good cheer. And most people are are, uh, just of good fear. Don't be fearful, be cheerful, is what Jesus is saying. Look at this in the Amplified. But take notice, the hour is coming and it has arrived when you will all be dispersed and scattered, every man to his own home, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials, distress and frustration. He's spelling out some of our stuff right there, right? Some Some of you are like, that was my week. There's Monday through Friday right there in one sentence. You will have tribulation and trials, distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, and undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. He has deprived it of the power to harm you. To harm you. Different perspective. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Again, another one of our popular verses. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. Remember we pointed out, you know, we count it all joy when we get out. And he says count it all joy when you fall in. When you get into it. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces. Everyone say produces. 
produces, the testing of your faith produces patience. I love how the Amplified reads in this. Look at verse 2 in the Amplified. Consider it. Count it all joy. That means consider. Consider. That means you're looking at it. How you consider something changes your perspective. If you can consider it differently, you change your perspective. You change how you see it. It's amazing how we live by perspective, by how we see something. And that means that something can affect us in a way that it shouldn't affect us, but our perspective of it is what really affects us. It's how I see it. It's how I perceive it. My perception of something determines how I respond to something. There are things in our lives that shouldn't hurt us, shouldn't affect us, but they do, just simply because we have the wrong perception of it. He says, consider it holy Joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in, enveloped in, or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Enveloped in. I mean, even when this thing seems like it's swallowing you up, there's no way out. There's no way. You can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. Consider it holy, joyful. Verse 3, be assured and understand. That the trial and proving, everyone say proving, the proving of your faith, gosh, proving of your faith. Many people want great faith, but they don't want the great trial that proves the great faith. When you look through the Bible and you see the men of faith that are mentioned, you go down Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the hall of faith. Just man after man, woman after woman of of faith in God. But all you read about is the accounts of their trials and tribulations, and you've come to discover that the faith was tested by something. I mean, most of the great Bible stories that we tell our kids and we talk to them about and, and, and that we've learned, you know, from growing up are people that endured great challenges, and that's why we're talking about them today. You realize that a lot of men in history are great today, and they're in history books today, and we talk about them today. It's because they endured some sort of challenge. That most people back away from. That most people shy away from. It was men that took on a challenge that 99 out of 100 said that can't be done. I mean, most of us know about Thomas Edison and everything that he went through and all the failure he endured before he got the light bulb to work. There's a testing of your faith that proves something. There's a proving. Test, our faith requires proof. It requires testing. Let's go back to that verse 3. <clears throat> verse 3 in the Amplified. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out. Everyone say bring out. Bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. Test. 
are not designed to keep you out of something. They're designed to draw something out of you. They're designed to draw something out of you. You realize there is no victory without a battle. There's no victory without an enemy. There's no victory without a challenge. There's no victory. You can't climb a mountain that's non-existent. You can't climb a a mountain just walking through the valley. There is a challenge that requires our faith being tested. Every test is meant to be passed. And every challenge is meant to be defeated. You have to have this perspective. Too many times we enter tests, we enter challenges, we enter trials just thinking that it's trying to keep us out when really it was designed for us to go in. When you, when you, when you look at Joshua and the first city they come to, the first city he leads the Israelites to is Jericho. And it's fortified. It's a strong wall. But that first verse of Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, the first verse says that they had built a great wall because of the Israelites. They were more afraid of them than the Israelites were of the people in Jericho. That's why the wall was built in the first place. That wall was built to be torn down. The wall was built so it could come down. The wall was built. The challenge was there to be overcome. Every test is designed to be passed. There's no teacher that gives someone a test on something that they haven't studied, that they haven't had the opportunity to pass. But the teacher and the student have a different perspective. I had a much different perspective in school than my teachers did. They saw me overcoming. They saw me proving that everything I had learned all year long was in me and I could regurgitate it and I could test on it and I could prove that I could get to the next level. We were joking with the ushers a little bit before service talking about algebra. I don't know who brought up that terrible conversation, but we were talking about it. And Brent, knowing my disdain for algebra, he said, now, Pastor Mark, he loves algebra. I said, yeah, I loved it so much, I took it twice. (laughs) Why? Because they weren't going to let me to the next level until I had proven I had learned what I needed to in this level. See, we're all in levels. We're all in levels, and there's a proving. There's something on the other side of the test. That requires what we're learning in this one. In sports, there are levels. In, in baseball, there are levels. There's, there's single A, there's double A, there's triple A, and then you finally get to the, the big leagues, the show, they call it. But there's testing that's required. If you're not batting 300 in single A, you're not getting to double A. If you're not throwing strikes on a consistent basis in single A, you're not getting to double A. There's testing. There's proving that's required. So we've got to understand that there 
is the test. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to talk about a man today that endured a test. He endured a trial. (coughs) He overcame. But there's some things that I want to point out in this story of David and Goliath that I think will help us in our test. I said this on Wednesday that the Bible doesn't explain so much the how as it does the why. God is a God of principle. And if we miss the principles in the Bible that God is laying out in the stories and we just relegate it to a story, then we'll miss the principle. We'll miss what God is really trying to say. Because most likely, uh, no one is going to leave here today and when you get home, there's going to be a nine foot six guy standing in your driveway wanting to kill you with a spear that's larger than your car and he's got this big shield uh, and he's a man of war. Most of you are not going to go home and face a literal Goliath. But yet, you have a Goliath. Some of you, your Goliath might be your finances. Some of you, your Goliath might be your marriage. Some of you, your Goliath might be your home situation. Uh, Your Goliath might be your job situation. We've all got Goliaths. We all have mountains. But if we can properly understand the principles that God is laying out, I think that we can defeat every Goliath that we have. We can come against every giant that shows up in our life. And when we talk about challenges and challengers, this is one that probably already came to your mind before I even mentioned it. You might have even been thinking about David and Goliath last week. But we want to take a look at this, and I want to point some things out. So we're just going to go verse by verse, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And a champion went out, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Now, champion literally means middleman. It's literally translated here, middleman. And and basically, uh, what was taking place here was uh, a war tactic Uh, that would sometimes take place where an entire army or an entire nation would put uh, the the fight on one man. They would pick a middleman or they'd pick a champion or someone that they considered a great man of war, and they would put the results of the whole fight on one man's shoulders. And this fight between this man and the opposition, the other man, would single-handedly determine the result of the, the war. And so Goliath is going out with the full weight of his nation on his shoulders. This isn't personal. This isn't, I've got a beef with you, or I've got a beef with that guy over there, bring that guy out to me. No, he's saying, I'm here representing the entire nation. My whole nations, my whole army's 
weight is upon my shoulders. And I am going to single-handedly win this battle for my people. That's what he's doing. That's ultimately what's taking place. Now, they picked a good one. Nine feet. I mean, can't get much better than that. And as you go on to read his description, Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. This this chain mail that he's wearing by itself weighed over 150 pounds. And he's carrying that. I mean, that go to the gym and pick up a 150-pound dumbbell and throw it on your shoulder and stand up, much less fight or run or charge somebody or swing something. This guy is strong, okay? This guy is huge. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. I mean, this guy is a bad dude. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then, he, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Dismayed means broken. Dismayed means broken. Now what he's doing here, he hasn't thrown a spear. He hasn't, uh, 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 you know, you know, fought anybody at this point. He hasn't done anything militaristically at this point. All he's done is talk. It's called trash talk. Right? Anybody heard of that? That's all he's done. And all he's done is run his mouth to this point. This is a man of great war. This is a man that knows how to fight. This is a man that knows how to enter battle and how, how to fight in battle. Later on, Saul tells David, this man is a man of battle and has been a man of battle from his youth. This giant has been trained to do one thing, kill, fight. And he's out here running his mouth. He's out here trash talking and they're already dismayed. It's amazing how many times we get moved simply by what we see and what we hear. And it hasn't even touched us yet. And you're paralyzed. This is what happens a lot of times when we enter challenges and trials. Again, it's our perception of a thing. It's our perception of the thing. It's how we see it, not really how it is. 
rather than looking for a weak spot, we just look at all the armor. See, a, a, a trained military guy, uh, when they go out to battle, they'll look for a weak spot. There's a weak spot, some here. I don't have to hit them in the chest and, and, and where all the armor is, but if I can find where the weak spot, if I can find a way to get in there where he's not covered up. But a lot of times when we enter a challenge or a trial, we simply get moved by what we see and by what we hear, and we're already paralyzed. They are dismayed. They are broken at this point. They can't even move. They can't even act. And notice that it says Saul and all of Israel. That's the leader. When the leader becomes paralyzed, there's not much hope for the army. Well, I'm not going to teach on leadership today. We're just going to talk about (laughs) challenges and challengers. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now David, verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. The man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. And followed they did. Because they stayed right behind Saul. Saul didn't go out. They didn't go out either. But the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. See, at this point, uh, David was being summoned by Saul Because the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and a distressing spirit came upon Saul. And so Saul had requested somebody that could play peaceful music to come and play before him. And that would drive the spirits away. It's a terrible thing as a leader when you have to have outside help. It's a terrible thing when you have to call on somebody below you. To, to, to help you because you can't maintain anything yourself. And so David has already been serving the king at this point, but in a very minimal role. He's been coming and he's playing music on his harp for King Saul, something that he had been practicing out in the fields, alone with sheep. But now the musician's about to become a fighter. He's summoned to play music. He doesn't get summoned to go to battle. Even though he was told of this. I I don't have this in here, but in the previous chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, this is where the distressing spirit came upon Saul. And it says, one of the servants of King Saul answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, A man of war. This is a description of David. And apparently Saul over, Saul doesn't, he tuned all that stuff out and says, skillful in playing. Okay, let me have that guy. He didn't hear the mighty man of valor and he didn't hear the man of war. Something about David proved that he could do this, proved 
proved, proved. At some point, there was testing in David's life that said, I I can take a giant. I I could go to battle. Nothing on the outside said that. Because you look at him and it says, oh, there's a cute kid that can play music. He's youthful. He's ruddy and handsome. It's about the, all the descriptions that they get. But this servant right here saw something in David and said, he's a mighty man of valor. He's a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. You just go ahead and throw his good looks on top of that. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. That was the description that King Saul received of David in the previous chapter. So now David is hearing of this in verse 20 it says so david rose early in the morning left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as jesse had commanded him and he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle for israel and the philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army and david left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, as he talked with them, there was the champion, the middleman, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, had the same stuff to say that he was already telling them. He would come up morning and evening, every single day, saying the same thing. I defy the armies of God. I defy the armies of Israel. Send out a man to come fight me. I'm carrying the weight of my nation. Now you pick a man to carry the weight of your nation to come fight me, the champion. And he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. David heard them. Now, everybody had heard these words. The whole Israel army heard these words. King Saul heard these words. This was not the first time Goliath shows up to defy the army of God. This is not the first time that he shows up to, to, to come against an opposition, to challenge God's people. But David heard these words. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy, what does that say? Israel. That's a key, that's a key point. He has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So the Israelite army says he's come to defy Israel. 
But David says, no, 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 no. He's not just defying Israel. He's defying my God. It's amazing. Two different people can hear the same thing two different ways. (laughs) See, they saw their strength to attack Goliath in themselves. But David says, no, no, no. No. He's defying my God. My God, my Lord, the Lord that is with me, he won't stand for this. So if I go out there, I'm not going out there by myself. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? There's coming a day, and it's already come, that you will be scattered. You you will be uh, dispersed, and I will be left alone, yet I am not alone. Because my father's with me. Jesus says, I'm about to enter, endure a trial just like you're about to endure a trial. And even though it might, might seem like I am alone, I'm not lonely. There's somebody with me. It's just a change of perspective. David's not hearing anything different than the army's hearing. Goliath didn't come out and say something different than he was saying all the other times. David didn't hear something different. He just heard differently. (laughs) He didn't hear anything different. He just heard differently. He didn't see anything different. He just saw differently. He perceived differently. He had a different perspective of the same trial, of the same challenge, of the same challenger. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should defy the armies of the living God. Of, of means source. Of means where you came from. You are a child of your father and mother. You came from, therefore you are of their family. You are of their bloodline. He didn't just say they're defying the army of Israel. They are defying the army of Israel of the living God. When you remember your source, you'll take on any kind of trial. When you remember where you came from, you'll take on any kind of challenge. You'll see they're challenging me, but they're really not just challenging me. They're challenging of the living God. I am of. He reminded himself and he reminded them, you're not just the army of Israel. You are the army of the living God. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? What, what, did, David, what did David say that would make you so angry? What, what did he say? He asked, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He identifies the challenge that should defy the armies of the living God. And then he identifies his source. What did he say that would make you so angry? 
Yet just in identifying the uncircumcised Philistines and then identifying we're children of God, we're the army of God, just in those statements alone, Eliab's anger is aroused. Are you, are you still angry about that time when the prophet came to the house and went down the line and none of you guys got picked? And then the little shepherd boy that was forgotten in the field, he's the one that's anointed king in front of all of you. Are we still a little sore about that? Eliab is showing up here thinking that David is the attacker and he's forgotten who's really the challenger. When we get our eyes off of the challenger, you'll start getting your eyes on all kinds of challenges that aren't really challenges. You start getting angry at people that are really on your side. This happens a lot in homes. This happens a lot with husbands and spouses. They forget that the finances are the challenge, not each other. And so when one steps up and says, you you, you know what, we we need to be tithing. I believe that if we start tithing, we can overcome our, what do you mean? We don't have money for that. I'm not the challenger. The finances are the challenge. If someone starts speaking in line with the word of God, and now they become the challenger. Why? Because we don't have our eyes on the challenge. We don't have our eyes that God's the source. You've been dismayed. You're in fear. You've been broken. The challenge has broken you. You've taken the challenge personally rather than saying, you challenge me, you're really challenging my God. Look what's happening here. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Boy, they love to bring up your past, don't they? They love to put you in your place. Don't talk to me about tithing. Go do the dishes. Who's doing the dishes right now? That's what you... No. When you get your eye off the source, you start getting your eye on stuff you shouldn't be looking at. Because if you go back, if you go back to verse 20, it says, So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. He did his part. Don't worry about David's part. David did what he was supposed to do. David did not abandon his responsibility to take on a challenge. And so here is his older brother. Who did you leave? The sheep with a few sheep. I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. Oh, they want to attack his heart. I know your heart. No, the one that really knows his heart says, that's a man after my own heart. I know your heart. No, that's the man that God had to tell Samuel Man looks on the outside, but I look, God looks at the heart. Mm. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Oh, he saw the battle. Or the lack thereof. 
You call this a battle? Oh, he saw something, but he saw it differently than they saw it. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? What's he saying? Is there not a bigger picture? You're attacking me when there's a giant over there that's defying the God himself, defying our God? Do you really have your eyes set on me and what I'm supposed to be doing with the sheep and my pride and the, my heart? You're concerned. You're more concerned with me than you are with taking out the giant? Is there not a cause? What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. Now he's looking at all the army and saying, is there not a cause? What's he doing? He's reminding them of the bigger picture. When you're in, in the midst of the trial, it's real easy to get your perspective real small. But when you can step back and say, wait a minute, let me get a different perspective of this thing. David now is going around the army saying, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they were reported to Saul and he sent for him. See, this type of action takes notice. This type of action will draw attention to you. When you stand up before a challenge or a challenger, people will begin to notice that. And it was reported to the king himself. And David sent, or King Saul sent for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Are you up for a challenge? Are you up for the challenge? Are you up for the challenge at that hand? David's up for a challenge. David's not picking a fight, but he knows how to respond in the midst of challenge. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You are not able to go against this Philistine. To fight with him for, because you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He's been doing this since he was your age, is what he's saying. He's been practicing this stuff since he was your age. Basically, he's saying he's been tested in this. He's proven that he can do this. He's a man of war from his youth. He's been tested. And now the one that's been tested is giving the test. And you, you can't pass this test. You can't pass this test. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion 
or a bear. I mean, you know, listen to how he starts off the statement. He's going to give his plea as to why he should be allowed to go fight Goliath. Why should they allow a teenage boy go fight a giant? And he says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Not a good start. You know, at least, you know, you want to bring up, you know, hey, my brother Eliab, my oldest brother over here, uh, he's, in, he's shown me different things. He's given me some techniques, you know. He's not, he, I mean, David is not phased by this because he knows within himself he's got what it takes to pass the test. You ever gone before a test? You ever taken a test that you were just so confident? I got this. Not many. <laughs> Not many. I remember there was one time. It was uh, it was my psychology class. I took it as a sophomore, and that was a tough class. I I really didn't know what I was getting into. I had the option uh, to do psychology or to do, uh, we called it a multimedia class. It was a computer class. And, you know, I knew, I knew computers, and for some reason, I was up for a challenge. I, I was up for, I was like, bring me, bring me on. I mean, I'm a learner. I, I like to learn. I don't like stalling. I don't like being stale. I'm one, I like, I, I like to read. I like to read. I like to read. If I say it enough times. I actually do love to read now, but not back then. But I, I, I'm a, I, I like to be progressing and, and moving. So I said, I'm up for the challenge. I'll, I'll do psychology. And I remember, man, I, you know, it didn't take but a couple weeks. And, and they're eating ice cream and chips in their class and really doing nothing. And, uh, you know, because a lot of my friends were like, why are you doing psychology? It was me and a bunch of girls. It was like maybe me and one or two other guys and all these, you know, uh, you know, straight A, smart, you know, valedictorian girls in this class, and I'm like, you know, what am I doing here? And I'm questioning myself, and and uh, you know, then you know, I get out of class, and they're telling me about what they did in their computer class that day, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I think I missed it. But I, I I push myself all year long for this class, and we get to the final at the end of the year, and I remember I was. Studying, studying. I was studying like I'd never studied in my life. I remember I set my alarm for 1 o'clock in the morning. I woke up at 1, turned the light on, studied some more. I mean, I had this stuff down. And so when it came time to take the final that morning, it was like three periods in. And I was like, can we just take it now? Let me take it right now. I, I mean, you are so ready. You're so confident. Give me the test now and I'll ace it. I think that's the only time this ever happened, so it's the only story that I have for when I was super confident about a test. But it's a good feeling when you know that what I need to pass this test, it's already in me. Bring it on. Now, I definitely wasn't going to my teacher and asking for tests. Hey, can we take a test today? I just, 
just feel so good about all the stuff that's in me, all the stuff you've taught, you know, about psychology. Let's take a test today. Who's up for a test? Anybody want to? No, no, you're not doing that. I'm not looking for it. I'm not out there trying to find it. But when it comes, I'm, let's go. And that's David's attitude here. And he starts off with, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. He goes to what he's been doing. See, many times we oversee what's been put in us to pass the test in front of us because we think what we've been doing hasn't really been preparing us. And yet he says, I can take on a giant because I've been tending sheep. What you've been doing today is preparing you for the challenge tomorrow. And you may not even recognize it. The things that we complain about today are really preparing us for the challenge tomorrow. The job you hate today, the people that you hate seeing at work tomorrow, they are preparing you for the next level and you don't even know it. I mean, nobody, nobody. Goliath is a man of war. That means, and a man of war from his youth, that means he has been preparing for this day since he was young. What's he been doing? Well, he's probably had military training. He's probably had training in war and training in battle. He's learned how to use a, 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 a shield. He's learned how to protect himself. He's learned how to throw a spear. He's learned how to use a sword. He's been learning how to fight in combat. And so nobody would look at David and say, this man's been preparing for this Goliath situation all his life. Look at how he tends those sheep. Right? Nobody in your right mind would say, dude, he's got it. He's ready. Let's throw him out there. And don't try to discredit your past and try to discredit what you've been going through and what you've been doing. And if you're not careful, you'll listen to them over God. If you're not careful, you'll allow them to devalue what's in you when you know you've got what it takes to take on the next challenge. He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. So basically he's saying, I've been hunting. That's why I can kill Goliath. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. He hasn't taken his eye off the sword. Moreover, David said, The Lord, the Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Such a compelling speech that Saul decides to let him go. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, 
He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. Tried to walk. It's like, didn't you just listen to anything I just said? My preparation came out there. Now you're trying to put on me something I haven't been tested for. My preparation came in the field with sheep and lions and bears. My preparation came in trusting in the Lord. The Lord delivered me. And now Saul is trying to put his armor on him. And he says, David fastened his sword to his armor, tried to walk, for he had not tested. Tested. He had not tested them. The tests and the trials are proving But David knows better than take on something he hasn't been tested in. He says, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. See, your preparation, we talked about preparation last week. We talked about the importance of preparing for the challenge. Nobody shows up to practice. You don't get a crowd for practice. You get a crowd for game day. But the reason why they show up for game day is because you've been practicing. Nobody wants to watch a team go through the test on game day when they haven't endured the practice. That's when you get beat down, shut down, broken down. But see, in the preparation, that preparation has been testing you, has been preparing you for the challenge. So David takes on Saul's armor. But that's not what prepared him for battle. You got to get this this morning. You got to see this. David had to go out to battle with what he had been tested in. See, we're shrugging off the test, and the tests are the very thing that are preparing you for the next thing. We're we're trying to avoid challenges. We're trying to go around challenges, and the, the, the challenge, overcoming the challenge is what will prepare you for the next thing that God has in store for you. And you can't allow people to put on you something you haven't been tested for. It's funny how others will try to prepare you for something that God's been preparing you for the whole time. (laughs) Saul's now trying to prepare David the way he prepared for battle. But the way he prepared for battle isn't the way David was prepared for battle. Because Saul left out one very important detail. 
the Lord is with you. You can have all the armor. You can See, he's trying to match him to Goliath. You don't have to prepare the way someone else prepares. And you don't have to prepare the way the challenger is prepared. That's how the challenger prepared. The challenger prepares by getting on armor and learning how to fight with 150 pounds of chain mail on him. And picking up a spear and picking up a sword and, and wearing a helmet. And wearing all the protection that he wears. But now David is about to go out there differently. Because he's had a different preparation. He's had a different test. He says, I cannot walk with these. For I have not tested them. So David took them off. And he took his staff in his hand. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Notice it it doesn't say that David went into his prayer closet and prayed that God would come down and smite the giant. See, all of Israel believed that God could defeat the giant. Only David believed that God could use him to defeat the giant. He says, this is the test. And we're going to defeat this test. We're going to overcome this giant. But you're going to need me to do my part. You've been preparing me for this day. You've been preparing me. And so he takes his staff, five smooth stones, puts them in his shepherd's bag. His shepherd's bag. Look at the weapons he's using. The weaponry, the, the great military tactics that he's showing up with. A staff, a shepherd's bag, and rocks. And his sling in the other hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came and began drawing near to David. The man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. (laughs) Your challenger will laugh at you when you show up because it looks like you're unprepared. It looks like you haven't been tested. But the testing comes to draw something out of you. It's what is about to come out of David that will determine the outcome of this battle, not what's on the outside of him. See, the preparation that God is working in your life is on the inside. Sometimes what God is doing inside of you is more important than what he's doing around you. He's been working on this man's heart. He's been working on this man's ability to trust in him. I don't need the shield. I don't need the sword. I don't need the spear because my trust is in the Lord, and the Lord is with His trust is in something else. And so although on the outside it looks like David is unprepared for battle and he's about to mess this whole thing up because the man that goes out to face the champion has the entire weight of the nation on his shoulders. If he loses this battle, all of Israel is enslaved to the Philistines. That's the rules of war. There's no redos. 
There's no makeups. There's no gimmies here. There's no mulligans. There's no, uh, you know, you know, die and get another life. Insert two coins. Okay, y'all didn't get that one. We're way past the arcade machines. You had to insert another coin if you wanted to continue. Okay, all right. All these video games and stuff, you just die and it automatically pops back up. Back in my day, we had to play a game, and when the race was over or the fight was over, you had to insert another. And but I want to, I, I'm right there. Oh, I'm right there. I can do it. I was always Wolverine playing the X. Anybody remember the X-Men arcade game? Oh. Do you? Zachary? All right. We're going to go find one. We're going to play it. I'm X-Men. You can't, I'm, I'm, I'm Wolverine. You can't say Wolverine. You can be, you can be Cyclops. I'm Wolverine. I'm always Wolverine. Then people would try to, no. I know how to use the claws. A is jump and B is, you know, swinging the claws. And you, almost, you get right to the main guy at the very end. And you got like, hey, you're calling over another buddy to come play with you. It's like, come on, we can do it together. And you get right there and he's about to, you're about to take him out. And it says, insert another coin to continue. Are you kidding me? The money gimmick. Just let me have it. There's no insert coins here. You, if David loses... Israel's toast. They are done. They are now enslaved by the Philistines. He disdains him, for he was only a youth. Ruddy. And throw it in there. He's good looking. All right, rub it in. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? See, it's, it, it, it's almost a, it, it's a scoff at the challenger. When you show up looking like you're not prepared. Right? Miss Bernie, you get upset when those kids come in and like they're not even prepared, man. They don't got their paper out. They don't got pens. Like, are you kidding me? We are about to take a test. Or do you even know what you're doing here? Do you have your calculator out? I mean, when, when it was test time, you had to have your paper out. You had to have your pencil out. You had to have your calculator out. Get it all out right now. We're about to It's like, oh, it's test time. Oh, I forgot. They look like they're unprepared. David looks like he's unprepared, and it's almost a laugh in the face of the challenger. You come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. And the beast of the field and the challenger comes out of David. He said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. Those are your weapons. And see, you thought I came out here with a stick, rocks, and a sling. But notice his response is, and I come out, it's not I come out here with a stick, and I got some rocks over here, and I have a sling. No, his response is, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, you thought you were defying an army. You thought you were defying a nation. You thought you were defying a people. But you missed something. You're really defying our God. Our God that's living, our God that is alive, our God that is about to take you out, and he's going to use me to overcome you. Now he's giving the challenger some perspective. 
He doesn't talk about the rocks and the stick and the bag and the sling. He talks about his God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. This is awesome. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All the earth. Look at the result. God will get the glory as a result of you being defeated. Not they'll look at me. Not they'll chant my name. Not they'll say if Saul kills the thousands and, and, and David kills his ten thousands. Not I'm going to get the daughter's, the king's daughter. Not I'm gonna, my, my, my dad's going to be free from paying taxes. Not that I'm going to be lifted up in the land. That all of the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And the next nation behind you will think twice before sending out a champion to us. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it. Struck the Philistine in his forehead. The, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand. Why does it emphasize that he fought him with a sling and a stone? But no sword. It's because David's testing, David's preparation came differently than everybody else. How many times do we face challenges and trials that we feel like we haven't been tested for? Yet the Bible tells us God will not test us beyond what we can handle. God has prepared you. The test that is in front of you is there to prove everything that's within you. The challenge in front of you is proving what's in you. You've been prepared. David said, when I was a shepherd, tending sheep, while you guys were learning combat, while you guys were learning moves, while you guys were learning to use weapons, while you guys were learning uh, how to defeat an army, I was learning how to defeat a challenge. I was learning how to put my trust in the Lord. I was learning how to put my trust just in what God gave me. And I don't need your preparation to defeat my giant. You need God's preparation to defeat your giant. And so we all have these challenges. It wasn't the weapons that set David apart. 
It wasn't the training that set David apart. It wasn't his military background that set David apart. It wasn't his ability to handle weapons of warfare that set David apart. It was his ability to rely in the testing and the proving that God had been developing him for in the field. What is God preparing you for today? What is he developing for you and within you today? Because it wasn't what was on the outside that prepared him. It was what was on the inside that prepared him. It was what God was doing in David that prepared him for Goliath. It was the right heart. It was the right motives. It was the right uh, 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 motivation to go and say, I want all of the land to know there's a God in Israel. I want every nation to know that my God will reign. That my God will step up for us. That my God will stand up for us. And he could take on a challenge. He could take on a challenger twice his size with much more training. With much greater preparation in warfare. Guys, the challenges and the challengers in our lives, they're not there to take you out. They're not there to remove you. They're there to place you. As we read further here. Go to verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Now, if you read the previous chapters... He knows who David is. He knows that he's the younger brother of Eliab, Shammah, and Abinadab. They're in his army. He knows that he's the son of Jesse. They've already told him of David. David's been serving King Saul himself. But now King Saul recognizes he's about to move into something great. Abner says, your soul lives. I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And if you skip on down to verse 5 of chapter 18, it says, David went out wherever Saul sent him. And behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. What's that? Another level. Promotion is on the other side of the challenge. David could now operate in another level. Because he passed the test. King Saul now places him in charge of his own armies. The guy that doesn't wear armor. The guy that doesn't wield a sword. The guy that doesn't carry a spear. 
The guy that can't wear a helmet, he can't even walk in the stuff. The guy that shows up to battle with a stick, rocks, and a sling. And he places him over his men of war. Guys, if we could just see the promotion that lies on the other side of our test. If we could just see the next level that God's trying to get us through as a result of facing our challenges and our challengers, you would take on the challenge and you would say, I do not come with you to you with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. All of the earth will know that my God reigns because I come to you in the name of the Lord. And you know the story of David. This is just catapulting him. The man that was forgotten. Oh, wait, we, there is another son. Got so many of them. I forgot. I have an eighth one sitting out in the field, but he's just tending sheep. I mean, you're looking for a king. You're not looking for a shepherd. And God says, no, that's the very man I want. The guy that was forgotten. The guy was, that was told, why are you even here? Go back home. The guy was told, you can't do it. You're just a youth. This guy's been fighting since he was a youth. The guy that couldn't wear the armor now becomes one of the greatest warriors for God and for Israel. Defeats army after army. And there's conversations that David, he just got so used to winning these battles. He would have conversations with God and he'd say, all right, God, we're going out, we're going out together. You, you want me to get him? If you, say, if you say the word, we're going. That's simple. Becomes king. A man after God's own heart. What are the challenges trying to produce in your life? What are the tests, the tests that you're avoiding, the tests that you're pushing off, the tests that you're trying to get away from, the tests that, you're, that you don't see a way out? They have enveloped you. They have uh, uh, surrounded you. They have darkened your perspective. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Father, I thank you this morning that we see the tests and the trials in our lives the way you see them, the right perspective, the right perception of not just what you're doing around us, but what you're doing in us. Uh, we allow the tests to move us from one level to another. We allow the challenge to promote us to the next thing, not by trying to get out, but trying to get through. Father, what you want to prove in our lives is greater than what we can do on our own. But we, re we rest, we rely, and we trust on your ability working in us. Father, may we allow those tests to work their work. Paul said to count it all joy when you fall to various trials. Because the testing of our faith proves and allows and draws out those things that you've placed in us. 
the drawing out. The drawing out. It's not an easy process. It's not an easy thing. But we allow it to work in us. So that you can draw something out of us. And we will not let a challenge. We will not let a challenge and a challenger stop us. But we will allow it to prove us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen.